Chuck Fletcher on 32 <laughs> Thoughts today. Oh, you, so you said, Mike, you heard a little bit of it? I heard some of it. Um, you know, I guess he was on you know, to discuss the draft, and then they got into some questions about his time in Philadelphia. Yeah. So, I mean, the first half was basically draft stories, and he's going to be joining Sportsnet. Uh, on their, you know, panel or whatever. To, they to couldn't talk find to... anybody else to do this. <laughs> like, at what point do you get to be like, man, Chuck Fletcher, what a big get for our Sportsnet yeah. panel for the draft. F- fucking most vanilla personality you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, it was, it, was, it was funny because there was times where you could sit there and you're like, you know, at his core, he'd be a, you know, decent guy to, you know, like, you know, have a beer with and just talk to. But then, like, when he starts talking and saying stories, it's like, oh, my God, this guy's he's a bad storyteller. He's like, the only thing like, I heard about from that interview was that he threw Matt Niskan under the bus. That was that he. Uh... Uh, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think I think he he did. He did admit that um, the Niskanen thing was hard because it was like they kept trying to, you know, make up this for... This leaving did that. The interesting thing for... See, I think that that was blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. It, I was thinking more along the lines of, like, you know, Mike, when you had, like, your list of, like, your litany of excuses, Damn. because he, he went through them all. Yeah. It was almost like he's he, he got a new app on his phone Excuse called Twitter. Bingo. <laughs> and uh, it's it's like well you know Niskanen leaving and Ryan Ellis injury didn't have the uh, help and you know we had uh, lots of injuries you know we lost eleven hundred man games uh, to injury you know that was really bad and you know the pandemic you know we had the pandemic we we, we got to the second round we God, got to game seven it, literally and it, it was like he went on for like three minutes or two minutes and it was like excuse 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 and it was like okay i don't think he was harping on the niskanen thing i think he admitted that you know he was trying to you know get back somebody who would have the same kind of impact but it never materialized i mean like losing niskanen did suck like that that, that was a legitimate problem and then of course they get Ryan Ellis a couple years later who then fucking retires after four games and you know they went all in on D'Angelo which was a stupid move at the time but that clearly didn't work you know like they were anticipating it would there was definitely mm-hmm. some you know bad luck there when it comes to Niskanen calling it quits and, and Ryan Ellis being what he was but there was a lot of other times where he didn't do himself any fucking favors either he replaced him with Eric Gustafson in 2021 yep. <laughs> for fuck's sake moron. like ugh and he did kind of admit that he's like at the bottom line is I uh, I should have done a little bit more and you don't fucking you know, say chuckle. And, and the the interesting thing for me about the Niskanen thing and I haven't seen anybody talking about it yet, 
But um, he was asked point blank, did the Niskanen thing catch you by surprise? And he said, well, yeah. He goes, uh, how it went down, and I'm, I'm not an exact quote, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said, on the plane back out of the bubble, he said, you know, Niski went up and grabbed Mike Yo and said, this is it. I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And I thought that that was interesting, that it was Mike Yo. Like, it wasn't Elaine Vigneault. It wasn't anybody in the management side. Certainly wasn't Chuck. There was no players. It was Mike freaking Yo who was an assistant at that time. Was he not? Yeah, he was a defensive coach, I think. So, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Like, out of all the guys to tell that to, he went to Mike Yo, grabbed him on the plane and said, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm out of here. Yeah, and I mean, a number of things on that. One as helpful as Matt Niskanen was in his role here for one season, it wasn't like they lost like a, like a stud hall of fame player. That was the catalyst to them winning or losing. I mean, Matt Niskanen was at the end of his career. He, he still played a reasonable level of defense. He played a smart brand of he was hockey. playing very well and got a mm-hmm. best out of Ivan Provorov that he ever played. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he definitely ignited, you know, he was what, 34, 35 at the time. You know, it's not like they lost, you know, Kale McCarr or something at his absolute peak, but it was definitely a big loss. You know, I, I wonder what, uh, do we, did we ever figure out what it was that made Niskanen just throw in the towel? I mean, the rumors at the time were COVID, but I mean, if he just says, Mike Cow, I'm fucking done, man. Like something had to, you know. That was the other thing, and they kind of pushed a little bit more, and it basically came up like, was there any indication that the player was, you know, upset, you know, not happy, whatever? And he was like, no. He's like, nobody knew. And it's like, if you should kind of be, if if he went to Mike Yo, and he had that kind of relationship, you'd figure that Mike Yo would be like, hey mad is everything okay like you're kind of you know this is kind of weird and you know all that stuff when when covid happened was you know like talk to your friends talk to your neighbors make sure that they're okay like make sure that you know mentally and i don't know if it's a mental thing or not but just kind of keep tags on people and you know make sure that you know hey you all right you good you know and, and it was a complete surprise nobody knew he only had one year left on his contract right i believe so yeah Okay, I think he, you know, he conceded five million bucks before taxes. Um, I think he probably just was like, I mean, he has a wife and kid and wanted to be with his family. Like that was the the ultimate excuse he gave. Yeah, for him to just he's just a real for him to play the role he did for the Flyers and then to fucking throw in the towel. It was always like, you know, what what was it that kind of forced his hand on that one? Yeah, some guys just don't, you know, they reach a point where it's like, I don't feel like, you know, doing travel anymore. I don't feel like going to practice anymore. Um, I've just, I want to close the door on that. I played for the Flyers for one year. Fuck this. Call it quits. (laughs) Yeah, possible. And like the thing that, uh, that also had struck me from that Fletcher interview was like, you know, he, I feel like he's, 
I mean, the excuses were ridiculous, just absolutely fucking ridiculous. Like it, you know, it wasn't me, it was other people. And he mentioned that as well in one of his answers where he says something to the effect of, well, you know, it really isn't just about the general manager. It's a collection of people that, you know, move the franchise in certain directions. And it's just like, dude, like, it's not like Brent Flair's fault here. And there are some culpable people that probably are still in that organization right now. But, but you know, I mean, that rubbed me the wrong way. And then he's like, you know, I kind of knew I was getting close to the end when we weren't winning and stuff. And it's like, well, well, no shit. But also, <laughs> you never had the brains to say, hey, wait a second, let's take a time out here. Is this really the right direction for the franchise? That's the and thing. And if it was the every, right direction, yeah. why didn't they go harder in that direction? Absolutely, Dan. It was just like the one foot in, one foot out approach was was ridiculous for his tenure, extension of the Hextall era. And like it wasn't just about not winning. It was about that nobody knew what the fuck you were even trying to do. You know, like it it was a level of ineptitude, essentially, that that for all intents and purposes got him fired or should have gotten him fired. That's what it was. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't bad luck, it wasn't excuses, it wasn't the team, you know, just missing, it wasn't the team it, it, no, it's like no one knew what the fuck you were trying to do. Like <laughs> and he was asked about about that in a way because Jeff Merrick asked him, he's like, you know, Briere announced a rebuild. He's like, how, how much of you thinks like, man, I wish that they would have let me, you know, do this a year before that would have been better. And then he was, you're right. It's all this stuff about, you know, the bad luck and this and that, but at the same time, he didn't make any favors for himself. You know, he's, he's like, well, we, we, we win. We got Tony D'Angelo, but you know, we only kind of half, you know, went in, we didn't commit to it. It's like, don't fucking say you you, you (laughs) didn't commit to it. You gave up three draft picks. For a Tony D'Angelo, it was your man. fucking job to commit to idiot. it in the first place, fool. What yeah, are you talking like, about here? Yeah, it's like, oh, a God. Idiot. <laughs> the, the, the the other great parts of the of the interviews uh, with Chuck Fletcher was uh, he he made reference to when he was talking about the the reasons for why things went south in Philly. He also made it a point to say uh, there were a lot of off ice issues. And then he repeated it again. He went, a lot of off-ice issues. I wonder who he was talking about when he said that. He didn't go into specifics. Well, yeah, no, I mean, that's a great question. And it also is like, dude, you were the fucking team president and the general manager. Like, you control fucking everything. So, like, part of that is also on you. There are fucking issues yeah well you need to figure out a way to solve that stuff and prevent it from happening like that's your job man like yeah. you know all the minions under you can only do so much when our leader is a fucking idiot <laughs> so i don't god it's just infuriating absolutely infuriating <laughs> yeah picking at the scab is uh, uh. Yeah, people on Twitter were like, uh, it's not going to be that enlightening. And I was like, yeah, but you never know. You might get a little nugget here. And you there, got right? nuggets. Yeah, for sure. And, so- and I and I tweeted out just quickly. I said, oh, Chuck Fletcher's on uh, 32 Thoughts. Be still my beating heart. <laughs> and some guy who's faux Chuck Fletcher said, I'm rock hard right now. <laughs> I just started dying laughing. God. Was he ever asked 
um, by Merrick or I should probably by Merrick because he asked a little bit more pointed questions. Um, why he why Fletcher did not take the direction of rebuild at any point, considering that the team pivoted instantly when he was removed. <laughs> he, he basically fell back on the well, you know, we had lots of good young players and there are players that, you know, Danny and and you know, Keith are going to have, and they're going to continue like Joel Farabee and Cam York. And it's like, yeah, this is like the, this is the Ron Hextall shit all over. So basically he's like, there was no reason to think we needed to do a rebuild. (laughs) He's like, you know, and then the Ryan Ellis thing happened. You know, we gave up two. you know, we gave up two good young players to, you know, get Ryan Ellis. hire this fucking idiot? We only had four games, you you know. Yeah, I I don't know, man. (laughs) It, the the funniest part though was the first the first half of the this is where the personality comes in the the first half they were talking about the draft and stories around the draft and they're like oh I'm I'm sure that you have some time uh, you know when you were a scout uh, in your days Chuck about uh, some stories and stuff and he's like oh oh yes I've got stories and he's like you know I remember sitting around a draft table and I think it was with Anaheim. And uh, one of our head scouts slammed the, the computer hard, so hard he broke the, the laptop computer. And it's like, wow, what a story, Chuck. <laughs> fucking guy got angry yeah. and fucking hit, yeah. he punched his fucking computer. Like, great, awesome. Yeah, yeah it was like, I got pissed on the toilet seat once. <laughs> ah, <you know. laughs> Whoa, what a badass. <laughs> <laughs> And then they were talking about like, oh, and, uh, you know, at the draft table, do you, is it like true that, you know, how, how true is it? Like, what was the best time, you know, in the moment when you're about to go draft and then the phone rings and he's like, well, actually I do have a story about that, uh, boys. He's like, uh, when I was in Minnesota in 2014, you know, we were drafting 18th overall and you know what? We, we had our eye on Alex Tuck. You know, we really wanted Alex Tuck and, you know, the phone rang and uh, I've always been a collaborative person. You know, I like relying on my head scouts and my assistant GMs and my director of scouting. And he, he talks about this freaking like, circle jerk of fucking people. And it's like, yeah, no wonder nothing got done here because you have to ask like 50 different people <laughs> for their opinion. Oh, yeah. I think I remember hearing that it. because he's like, oh, and there it, was no time. He's yeah, like, there's no time yeah, to react. He, Look, he, he he's he's like he's like another general manager called me and said uh, we want the number eighteen pick. We're going to give you three second round picks right now for that number eighteen. And he's like, well, uh, I don't know. You're kind of putting me on the spot here, and I'm not really sure. And I'm kind of like looking around. He's like, oh, I guess I'm stupid, but but I I don't know. I don't have enough time. To, to figure out if this is a good deal or not. And he's like, he said this GM like yep. months later is like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> Why didn't you take the three second round picks? I don't even know what I was thinking offering you that. He's like, we wanted Alex Tuck. He's like, yeah, I know. We really wanted Alex Tuck too. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. And he it's like, told he, him, I was an idiot. And he told him, and I remember from that uh, part of the interview, Manny, he also mentioned that he told the other GM who he was going to take. So I'm, I'm not sure if like, yes. I don't know if they was asked, but it was one of those dumb is like the Rob Blake moment where he's just offering up extra information and making it easier on his counterpart across the table for no reason. God. <laughs> oh, God, I will not miss Chuck Fletcher. Get another tidbit of the Flyers portion. 
was he was asked point blank about was there any outside interference intent meaning the advisors in making decisions and he said flat out no there was no interference from advisors or anybody else. Right. What well, didn't fucking Dave Scott want Alivio fired by Sunrise one day? Isn't that yes. direct that interference? Was after the Tampa game. Oh, he mentioned he loved working for Dave Scott. I'm sure he fucking did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> fucking crypt keeper. But, yeah. Uh... And the question on the advisors probably it was probably not worded well by Merrick or Friedman because. The issue was not really one of interference, but one of unreasonable reliance, where they were sought after for their opinions unnecessarily. Yeah. Where they weren't like, you know, saying, oh, I got to be a part of this. It's like, no, they're like, oh, hey, what do you guys think about doing all this? How should we do this? (laughs) What's like by Dave Scott specifically, then also by Chuck Fletcher in certain circumstances. So it was interference. They were just unreasonably relied upon, so it, it makes him look even more stupid. Has the yeah, Flyers he... website been updated yet to remove some of these guys? Because last time I checked, Clark and Holmgren and all these guys are still listed on the website. Flyers yeah. And... Now you're gonna now you're gonna look at it and you're gonna think, what the fuck? Am I on the Wikipedia page for the 2010 freaking Stanley <laughs> Cup final team? Like everybody's here. Hockey club personnel. Senior advisor, Paul Holmgren, Bob Clark, Bill Barber, Dean Lombardi. Yes. Patrick Sharp and John LeClaire are nowhere to be listed. So well done, Philadelphia Flyers. Way to keep your own uh, website updated, you assholes. Yeah, they're not very good with that. For an organization as large as they are, I mean... You would think people would be on this immediately when decisions are made. Yeah, like at all the companies I've worked for, like when something happens, like it's instant, like that day. Someone's put up or somebody's removed. Hell, if I yeah, fucking fire ideas. somebody from my website, I can remove them that yeah. day. Yeah. Like... <laughs> the other thing with the advisors, too, is uh, he made it a point to, again, talk about collaboration. Well, I'm a collaborative guy, and you know, I like hearing all these different opinions and all these things. But he also left a little nugget, and he said, uh, well, all the all the moves that we made the decisions were unanimous or really close to unanimous. So that leads me to believe like, okay, so re-signing Travis Sanheim was fucking unanimous. Like everybody was like, yeah, that's a great idea, Chuck. Maybe like one Remind or two. Mind you, Danny Breer was in that front office at that point as well. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's a dig or, or not, but he, he may be lying it. and just saying that to avoid further probing. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> chuck and his stories oh god story time with chuck have we talked about uh val camillo stepping down yet on any of these uh freaking flyers uh no i don't think so yeah so the wicked witch is gone what an interesting character in in flyers history val camillo is because i think a lot of the getting rid of Ed Snyder, you know, trying to whitewash him from history and moving away from that, you know, former flyer bullshit, you know, I think a lot of that was her doing when she showed up. And eventually, you know, I think a lot of that kind of got counteracted because the fucking team was so goddamn bad that they couldn't, you know, get rid of the gimmick part anymore. 
and, and they reverted to it, and then she was obviously in charge of the Wells Fargo Center upgrades, which I have not seen them yet, but by all accounts, they're phenomenal. Um, you know, she did a good job with the venue mm-hmm. there. So kind of a, a, a very interesting person when all is said and done. Um, apparently she was salty that she did not get Hilferty's role, and uh, she's going to the Washington Commanders, apparently. So fuck, good luck, Val. I don't know what the fuck you what what is that team gonna offer you that the Flyers aren't, I suppose, but uh you know. Any uh, any fond memories of uh, Val Camillo in there? No. Mike's no, face. I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. I mean not really you know, she was she was the one that ushered in the whole gritty stuff and um she was the one that disrupted the kind of the flyers internal family when it came to the business side and fan relationships and whatnot and i think that that was that was a bad thing and um i think that the venue itself like you said dan that was that was her main project was to see the renovations through and make sure they got done and she did that and it looks fine I, i i don't know i i was kind of coming around on her to an extent but i think she I was came... as well actually uh, yeah last maybe year or so i, I think well mm-hmm. because everybody else in the fucking front office was terrible and she was the one person that didn't seem to have any blood on her hands from the current state of the team mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. um she came in as an executive with the flyers during a really horrible time during the team history in terms of the actual hockey product was as bad as it's ever been as irrelevant as it's ever been as uninteresting as it's ever been and i think that kind of hurt her as well because people started to kind of seek out other issues with the team you know when the roster is so bad for so long and and just so incompetent they start to you know get frustrated with other things with the building with other personnel on the business side and whatnot and it, it kind of becomes a a snowball effect like for example if the team was very good during the past eight years or so, I think that the Camillo stuff would be largely um, not ignored, but maybe not elevated to the extent that it has been with the amount of scrutiny that she got. Yeah. I think yeah. I mean, you could probably say that for everyone in the front office as well. I, I'm with you guys. Like I, I didn't know much about her. I just kind of know what other people were saying about, you know, too much gritty and, you know, all of their marketing gimmicks and all this stuff. And it was all her, it was all her. But for me, I know there's some fans out there on Flyers Twitter that absolutely despised her. But for me, it was always about Dave Scott. Like, I always blamed him way more because it's like, dude, you are the head honcho. If you want to put a stop to something, you could put a stop to it whenever you damn well please, but you don't. So whatever anybody kind of gets away with, that's still on Dave Scott for me. I always had mm-hmm. Dave Scott in my, you know, my hate list. But um, I don't know. Like she, I think it's pretty obvious that she definitely wanted a bigger role. Like you look at, she's interviewed by the Hockey News She's part of, you know, the Hockey Diversity Alliance, I want to say, is what it's called. It's like She's part of various committees. Uh, the HDA is something all. different. Uh, that's, that's the Wayne Simmons thing. She's part okay. of the, the league-sponsored uh, 
diversity committee or whatever. I don't know what the official title is off the top of my head, but yes, that's what I'm referring to. She's part of different committees at the NHL level. She's being interviewed by the hockey news about, you know, being a, you know, a female executive in Philadelphia and all the changes going on. And it's pretty obvious that she's doing all these things because she foresaw herself in a, in a bigger spot. Yeah. And when that bigger spot, you know, didn't materialize, it was like, all right, see you later. I'm out of here. Um, one of the cool things for me, um, listening to her on Snow the Goalie when she was interviewed, and, uh, you know, Chris Terrian came out and said, you know what, I've never really seen eye to eye with you at the beginning, but you did do a really good job. Yeah. And Russ Joy said that too, and, and Aunt San Filippo said that too. And then when she cursed on the show, she said shit. And it was like, all right, there's a little bit of Philly in, in Val Camillo here. This is good. But now I'm looking at that going like, yeah, she did that because she doesn't have to keep up that, you know, corporate facade anymore because she knows she's gone. And she obviously knew when that interview was conducted that, you know what, I'm not long for this this team. I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what was reported, I guess, was that she was seeking – Hilferty's role and when she wasn't awarded that that kind of spawned her interest in moving out can you um, imagine her as the fucking team governor right now yeah i you know i can't because i mean she had like she was like she had an incredibly high level role like it's not like she was, yeah, she was second know, some, in command i mean some mid-level manager i mean my god like she she was a huge massive role and the governor position i think honestly probably is better suited with someone who does have more experience than she does basically in that CEO role, uh, managing at, at the very tippy top of the pyramid of other organizations and to bring that experience to Comcast Spectacor. Um, not to say that she couldn't do it. I mean, she'd probably be fine at it, but you know, I think on balance, I think the experience factor with Hilferty was there and wasn't quite there with Camilla. I mean, Camilla's way younger than Hilferty. I mean, Hilferty is what, like 70 and and uh, Camilla's what, like 50? Something like that. I would so, assume, yeah. you know, I think that, I think that another, I don't know, five or 10 years, you know, in the president role that she was in, you know, I think she would transition into Hilferty's role. Hilferty's not going to be in this role for that long. I mean, I think it'd be a natural progression for her to wait that out. Um, and then if, if the um, if the report on the commanders is true, and I think that that's not confirmed yet, but I mean they're going to have an ownership group, and I'm not sure how that team's structured. But I mean, does she expect to be like one below the ownership group, or are, like uh, isn't the commanders' a ownership a fucking complete disaster at the moment? Yeah, and it's actually the uh, the same group that owns the Sixers, huh, so. Yeah. That's why I was a little, I was confused. It's Josh Harris and David Blitzer and the Apollo Group, whatever it is, um, that I guess is in the process of buying the Commanders or already has bought them. And uh, I'm sure that there was uh, a lot of solicitation there as well. <laughs> it's definitely, uh, I guess they didn't care about her violating that, but. <laughs> Uh, she is 48, according okay. to Crossing Broad. Because I was wondering, because it wasn't on her uh, Wikipedia page. I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, 
Yeah, I think if she would have waited it out another five years, Hilferty sixty six succeed Hilferty. So I mean, how much time does he have here? He's gonna pull the Dave Scott thing, come under retirement, come back for a full a few years, and then fuck right off when shit goes bad again. Yeah, I think I think Hilferty is probably, I don't know, maybe five years, roughly. Which would be, for, I mean, perfect. I mean, if Camilla is what, fifty three years old, to become the CEO and governor of the of Comcast Spectacor, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. Yeah, it's a hell of a gig. Mm-hmm. Who succeeds Hilferty now? Didn't they? I, I need to pull up the full list, but they named like five or six people into different roles to fill Camilla's spot, didn't they? They really yes. broke up those responsibilities. Hmm. I don't remember. Hold on, let me. Is that Hilferty saying, I don't want any of you newbies getting too much power? Yeah, they don't want to. I'm, I'm going to pick who's going to be replacing me. That's kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it also kind of shows, you know, how genuine. I feel like she should have recused herself from uh, some of the media uh, conferences that were had when Keith Jones and Briere were announced. It's very odd that you had that introductory press conference and pushed the whole, we're one united force, and then two weeks later she's calling it quits. Yeah, yeah. she clearly had, had indications at that point that she wouldn't be staying. Um, you know, I guess, I don't know, she should have just fucking quit at that point, you know, and maybe they fill her role during that time with Jones and and whatnot. Um, but I just think it was kind of ridiculous to, you know, sit through that pomp and circumstance for a couple of weeks and then fucking leave. I, I think that looks, I think it looks poorly yeah, um, probably didn't, on uh, her. Doesn't look great. Eh. I don't know. I can't find the fucking list. It was on Twitter somewhere. I don't know what any of the well, titles were either to look it up. <laughs> well, let's throw uh, some drinks into Steve Coates and you know what? That's his God. job now. Come on, yeah. Coatesy. Get in there. Because it also like their fucking website, I could look this up, but they don't. It makes the rest of them look like idiots too, because it's like they talked about her so confidently as part of you know their leadership group for the foreseeable future, and then poof, she's gone. Like, th- like they look stupid too. It's like you had confidence in this person, and now she's out of here. Well, what the fuck, you know? They announced promotions as part of the new business leadership structure. Blair Listino will serve as, there you go, another Italian, will serve as chief administration and financial officer, a position that oversees finance, human resources, business administration, community relations, and Flyers charities. She, so Blair, Blair Listino is a, is a female as well. She will uh, assume the role of chair of Flyers Charities and has been named alternate governor of the Flyers. Previously held the title of executive vice president and CFO of the Flyers. Oh Todd Glickman. So much terminology. <laughs> yeah, I know. How many roles do they have? Todd here? Like, Glickman, oh Blair Listino, John Master, Michael Shane, Phil Laws, Brian Adams, our old friend Sean Coit, Lisa Feigenbaum. Brian Adams, summer of 69? <laughs> I just saw him a couple weeks ago at Wells Fargo Center. Betsy McGill and Cynthia Punsalen are the official people listed on Comcast Spectacle right now. Hmm. 
Yeah, I, you know, I don't think we'll see. We may see a little bit of change in terms of business side stuff, but I don't think there's going to be anything substantial. I mean, they They're kind of hire a few more former flyers. Yeah, yeah. Andreas Nodal yeah. and uh, Sean O'Donnell. Probably. <laughs> but I, I mean, it, I expect the team to function the same in terms of in terms of that business stuff. I mean, it's possible that Keith Jones has a little bit of say in that uh, at this point, given that there's no counterpart that he has on the business side. So he's probably going to maybe assume a little bit more decision-making power than he would have if Camillo stayed, Uh, which is probably a good thing, but um, I don't expect anything major. I mean, all the renovations are done and uh, you know, like all the roles are in place with how they, how they utilize the mascot and, rolls up in like six people so nobody's got that significant amount of power anyway right so. right 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 so it's it's probably just status quo there's still the the specter of the 76ers though yes and that getting done yeah i had a theory i don't know if i was sharing this theory with you guys i think in our chat uh when camilla was announced but i'm glad you mentioned that i had a theory on that was and i you know evidently this probably isn't true but it could be uh in that basically Camillo's job here. Um, well, let me back up a second. They need the Sixers. We all know that Comcast Spectacor's biggest revenue stream is the Sixers who pays rent and they occupy the building for events for their games. And it's a massive revenue stream. And I saw a recent interview with, um, what the heck is the guy's name? Um, I forget his name. He's one of the guys that's uh, part of the Sixers management ownership group. He's interviewed by Crossing Broad, and basically the interview was about his conversations with Dan Hilferty and whether or not um, you know he could be swayed or the Sixers would be swayed to renew their lease and stop pursuing the new arena in Chinatown. And he was basically adamant saying, nope, um, I you know, have a good relationship with Dan, but we are going to pursue that arena. Um, you know, we don't want to be paying rent anymore, that sort of thing. And I thought that that could be um, kind of the death knell for Comcast Spectacor if they lose the Sixers. And my theory was that Val didn't want to be part of the management group that was responsible for losing the Sixers as a tenant um, and wanted to get out of the business um, before that gained too much momentum. Um, I have no idea if that's correct or not, but that's the way that I was reading the situation before um, the other stuff came out about her wanting Hilferty's role. I mean, it's possible, I guess, that that may have uh, played a role of some kind. I mean, if you're, you know, the high-level executive she is with the track record she has, losing a team like the Sixers, which ultimately dings Comcast Spectacor or something fierce, I mean, it's probably not the best, you know, mark on your record there if you had uh, yeah. future <laughs> yeah, pursuits. Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> It may not have been the direct cause, but it may have uh, sat in the back of her mind, I'm sure. At the same time, I, I might have seen, wasn't there a protest? Because the, the new arena is supposed to be in Chinatown in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. yes. right? So I thought I saw news that there was a protest there. have there been some uh, don't want the arena protests. built there. I think the chick and the mayor now, I don't know if it was an elected mayor running for it and whoever, but she's pretty pro-arena. Uh, so there's all kinds of protests and all kinds. So very messy situation this is becoming. But yeah, people are not thrilled at the idea of uh, putting an arena there. Not just because it doesn't make any fucking sense, but because. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not in favor of it. It's it's a huge pain in the ass. Such a pain in the ass. And they have no infrastructure to have public transit actually carry that many people in and out of that destination. It's just not set up. I mean, you'd have to redo entire stations, uh, redo train car. I mean, it would be. I can't even imagine what it would look like to have surges of people come in and out there. Um, so I have absolutely zero interest in it. <laughs> so Hilferty is 66. And when does this lease expire? It wasn't like eight years or something. Uh, 2030. Yeah. Yeah. So is Hilferty still going to be with Comcast Spectacor? Maybe. Maybe, maybe uh, not. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like he would be retired around that point. So in other words, he's going to be there to, I wonder when they can open up the terms to get a new deal. Yeah. When they can start negotiating that. Cause, cause I don't know, just from an outsider's perspective, if there's people protesting, uh, how many people were at this protest? I mean, it's all a China to like all the residents there. I think it's a big deal. Um, so, I mean, basically, if if citizens there are against it, and if, as both of you said, that transportation and infrastructure is a nightmare yeah. to get people in and out of there, and there's no way that it can accommodate it, the reality of this building actually getting built, it seems like the deck is stacked against it. June 10, like, 23, thousands of people marched through Center City on Saturday in opposition mm-hmm. to the Sixers' plan to build a new arena in the edge of Chinatown. Yes, that's a great point, Manny. The one thing is that this ownership group, uh, the Sixers ownership group, has basically unlimited money. They are not the kind of group that's relying on public funds, even though I'm sure they will try to procure them. But they have like they basically are the are the owners that will print money. And so money's no object, not relying on assistance from government aside from, yes, you can do this. Ah, but you know what? That argument only goes so far because if you could always get somebody else to pay a, a ticket or a share of it, you, you do it. Which they're going to. Oh yeah, undoubtedly. Like if you're gonna if yeah. you're gonna get taxpayers to foot the bill for a quarter of the cost, then you're gonna do that because that's a lot of money. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, it'll be the infrastructure stuff. So the arena itself may be just the owners, but then everything around it to get people in and out and all that shit. Well, oh, I'm sure that falls on the fun. city. Yeah. Yeah. See, but then if there's backlash to, you know what, you're going to be closing streets and building this and building that. And we're not even talking about building the actual arena yet. So now you're going to in inconvenience the residents in that area. I don't know, man, politically, that might have mm-hmm. a backlash, too. Um, there's going to be pro business people, obviously. There's going to be the construction people. There's going to be all kinds of people getting their fingers in there. Mm-hmm. But I got to tell you as as somebody who, you know, went to Philadelphia and watched the game, it was pretty damn convenient where you can just hop on the subway and you know, I I took a cab there but then the subway back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and like, you know, hotel was downtown by city hall and it was very easy. You go there, you, all the arenas are in one spot. I don't know, it was it was pretty convenient from an outsider's mm-hmm. point of yeah. view. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. I mean, you know, the stadium complex, I think, is not 
is certainly not very picturesque uh, compared to other cities that have downtown arenas and whatnot. That said, from a logistical standpoint, it is quite nice, especially for people that are driving in. I mean, you know, most of the people that go to all these games, Eagles, Sixers, Flyers, Phillies, are people that live in the suburbs that drive in. I mean, there's certainly a percentage of city crowd people that go. I went, you know, I took public transit when I lived in the city. But um, you can't make it that hard for your core customers. It's just, I mean, Philadelphia is not the kind of place where, I mean, it's kind of like New York City where, like, if you just put, you know, fucking giant stadium in the middle of Manhattan, like, I mean, that would be an absolute nightmare for people. It's just mm. not logistically feasible. And it's kind of a, a similar situation here with the Sixers or putting any stadium downtown in Center City. It, it just can't, it just can't work with the way that the setup is. And yeah, I'm glad you liked it as somebody visiting you know, to come to the stadiums. <laughs> and you know, it's not bad because they have they have the Broad Street stop down by Wells Fargo Center already set up. There's it's fine for the amount of crowd that actually uses it. It it functions just fine. Um, and you know, there's nothing that's needed to change it. There's no other infrastructure needed right now. So. As far as I'm concerned, the system works and uh, there's really no reason to change it other than the fact that Sixers ownership doesn't want to pay rent. And that's what it comes down to. So what happens? Uh, if, let's fast forward a few years. Sixers are gone. They're, the arena's built. They're in their own thing. And the Flyers just cannot get their shit together. And they're still... The Wells Fargo Center's half full every night. Like, Good question. What does that look like? I, uh, if this team is just never good again, which at this fucking point feels like a real possibility, uh, you know, what happens? I think, yeah, that's a great question. I think they, I think Comcast Spectacor sells, sells, sells the team where there's some, there's some split because I don't think, unless the Flyers are a fucking powerhouse, I mean, just a monster team, like a dynasty team that is rolling in sellout after sellout season, which they're not going to be, but I don't know if they can survive without that Sixers revenue as a company. I, I haven't seen their financials, but just ballparking it. I would be shocked if they could still function. It's going to be substantial if the flyers are not good. No, but the other part with, with arenas and all that is, we got to look at it from the other side too. What are the Sixers going to look like in eight or nine years from now? You know, they're a good team now. They've got star power now, but eight years they from can now. trust the process again. You know, I don't know. Like, look, look at the whole the shenanigans with the Arizona Coyotes. They've always been talking about we want to be ready for when that new arena comes, and then we can really sell sell tickets with a star studded team. Well that's a shit show. Like they don't have any, they don't, they can't get fans now like that. Okay. Yeah. They get uh, in that little 6,000 seat arena or whatever that is. They get people in there, but I mean, they can't fill a 20,000 seat arena. They can't fill a 12,000 seat arena. Like, I don't even know what the game plan is with Arizona. Like there's a, there's like five other places that have been mentioned as potential places to go. You know, like, what What are you going to do here? Yeah, they're going like, to move them back to Atlanta again. Oh. We haven't learned our lesson on that <laughs> enough times, apparently. They smell money, and then that's it. It's Houston, it's Atlanta, and then there's... Everybody's talking about Salt Lake City now. 
You talk. I saw San Diego pop up uh, a couple days ago. I was like, what? No. San San Diego Coyotes. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Manny. You know, the other side of the equation is will the Sixers be profitable enough at that point where it makes sense for them to. I mean, we're talking about uh, if they do get that stadium that a WNBA team may be showing up as well. So. I don't know how why they don't need one now, but. Uh... Yeah. Oh, great. So they could charge rent to the WNBA team. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they would. Yeah. So they're going to they're going to essentially take over in the Flyers role of right. being being the landlord. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that they possibly could operate. Um, as long as the team is reasonably decent, it's it's possible the Sixers could be fine on their own, um, you know, with the ownership. I mean, again, the ownership group is extremely wealthy and just I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if they wouldn't budget to be, you know, in the red for like a decade or or something like that and just withstand it and, and like be OK on that. Um, but I don't know unless there's money that's being filtered from Comcast proper down to Comcast Spectacor. I, I don't think Comcast Spectacor can survive on just the flyers and a limited amount of concerts that they'd be doing because other, you know, certain concerts would go to the Sixers venue that would normally be at Wells Fargo and, you know, whatnot. But I would, I would definitely question Comcast Spectacor's ability to, you know, to stay solvent, <laughs> so to speak. How about this alternate theory? If the Flyers stay shitty for the next God, if we have to endure another decade, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna <laughs> off I'm gonna off myself. Yeah. But uh, I might do it live on the air. <laughs> but um, what? At some point, like this new building, I'm guessing it's gonna be in the neighborhood of like a billion three, billion four billion five maybe yeah then at probably point, in the neighborhood yeah then at what point do you just say fuck it i'm gonna spend a billion five i'm gonna just buy the flyers <laughs> and wells fargo hey well if that's what you're gonna spend anyways that owner already owns the devils that's the problem oh so you sell the devils it gives a, a fuck <laughs> the devils are gonna be a like they're going to be selling tickets and jerseys and shit now for the next uh-huh. 10 years, too. So Josh Harris sells the Devils and then buys the Flyers and will own the Flyers and the Sixers. Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea. I love that idea. Didn't the guy See, who bought the Senators have to cash out of the Leafs or something like that to make it happen? So it's not, like, unprecedented. I didn't even. I wasn't even aware that he was with the Leafs. I think it was the Canadians. It was one of the Canadian teams that he had some level of stake in. I don't think it was anything <laughs> substantial, but he did have to cash out on it. I know. I know he's a billionaire from Toronto, Michael E. Andelauer. Something like that. Yeah. He used to own the Hamilton Bulldogs. Belleville Bulls, man, he's like bought like a bunch of different. Okay, in 2009, he was part owner of the Montreal Canadiens, the Bell Center, Gillette Group, and part of Jeff Molson's group of investors who purchased the team that year. 
So yeah, he obviously had to divest from there. The inter- see the interesting play with the with buying a franchise is apparently the the NHL wasn't thrilled that a lot of the interested parties to buy the senators it was a lot of it was about real estate it's like more of a real estate like where are we going to build this new arena in downtown ottawa we can get all this money and we could build up the downtown core of ottawa rather than being in the in the sticks and um canada ontario which is a little bit of a pain in the ass to get to i heard if you're uh living in ottawa and then it becomes uh, like, yeah, can we build condos next to it? And mm-hmm. Can we build yeah. restaurants next to it? Like that, that's where it starts to become like a thing that an entity like that just. I mean, that's what the it, Coyotes have been doing as well. They're pro- uh, proposing a full on complex. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like urban planning rather than sports ownership. Yeah, yeah it's a good point. The and then it's just, doing that. And it kind of distracts from your core mission, really. I mean, yeah, it's such a fucking put, you know, like an Annie Ann's pretzels next to your. <laughs> fucking hockey team like it's like oh we can put all this business sidewalks like this is this this is what teams are doing like yeah if you you go to the uh scotiabank arena if you go to scotiabank arena it's part of uh maple leaf square so basically (laughs) that entire block there's condos that have been put up right beside the scotiabank arena and guess who owns them the Toronto Maple Leafs, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So they sell like penthouse suites for millions of dollars. And they like, they've got their fingers (laughs) in freaking everything. Like, it's just, they're just a pig at the trough. And that's exactly what I could (laughs) see. Like, like, that's why if you're building a downtown arena, like the Sixers want to do, you want to clear out an area where it's like, you know what? I'm going to have condos here. I'm going to have mm-hmm. this here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to have my fingers on all of it to recoup some of that money that, that that's going to cost. This investment's going to cost. It's going to be massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like owning the team is like child's play. You know, oh, it's just too easy. I need some other real estate project to work on and I need to plan the urban center around like, it's too ambitious, you know, like I think that it's good to factor in those decisions, but I think you're right. It's like it's becoming greater than what it should be like the freaking sports center. The goal is to win and make money like that's it. And if you're expanding on that, I think I think the whole winning concept gets gets put on the shelf for a little while and becomes a problem in terms of how you're running your organization. I think that's where we kind of we talked about it before. Like, what's the difference between, you know, a guy like Ed Snyder owning the Flyers or Comcast, the corporation? Yeah. This right. What we just discussed mm. for the last couple of minutes. That's the difference where Ed Snyder wanted to build, you know, the, the house that, you know, on broad or whatever uh, it was that, that he called it. Right. And like that's like what he wanted. And it took so much out of him to build. You know, the core state center, which is now the Wells Fargo Center and and the spectrum back in the day, like he personally invested like his blood, his sweat, his money and, and putting that thing up. And it was risky. And there was some dicey moments here and there, according to Alan Bass's book. Yep. But like now when you're a corporation, it's like, well, we can we can get revenue streams from here and we can sell advertising here and we can sponsor the subway station here. And we got condos. Here. Like, it's just ridiculous. Like now it's gotten completely out of hand. That's a corporation, though. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, things like, OK, what's the composition of our roster? And um, <laughs> is the person. <laughs> yeah. Is the person who's making decisions on our roster doing the right thing? That's like, oh, that's just w- w- over here, you know, like and then, yeah, I mean, the Flyers are a classic example of how those priorities can get mixed up and create a terrible era of sport. Yeah, pump in some Chuck Fletcher quotes during the recording. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, trades are really hard. Nobody worked the phones harder than me. Yeah. Here, look at my call log. Yeah, I'll show you all the calls I made. (laughs) A log. I counted one, two, three, four, five, seven calls. The other thing that I didn't mention was Elliot Friedman was like, he put something out there and all of a sudden, like my interest went like, what? Oh, please, please say something stupid right now. He was like, (laughs) you know, what are some of the tools and things that are available to a general manager when they're making decisions on players? And I'm like, oh, talk about the fucking app. Do it. (laughs) And And he did it. He didn't fall for it. He was like, oh, yeah, you know, we've got a good analytics staff and, you know, uh, we, we have good uh, good ways of measuring players and all this stuff. And they do a really good job. And it's like, damn it. I wanted to hear about the app. <laughs> God, it's so disappointing that Chuck Fletcher, like, got this, you know, this plum job through his dad and everything. He, he doesn't belong in sports management. He just belongs in some, you know, run of the mill you know, fucking like paper company, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like the CEO of Dunder Mifflin. I mean, he should be the president of Dunder fucking Mifflin. Like that's, that's That'd be a that's hell of a reboot is. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he should sell Dodge cars. The office yeah. featuring Chuck Fletcher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like he's just such a, not the right kind of personality. Oh, like, you can do so much better than Chuck Fletcher for, for like for this role. Just... <sighs> he approves financing for people to get cars. <laughs> well, this app will tell me. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. punch in your income. Is yeah. that net yeah. or gross? Yeah. Okay, we're just gonna punch this in at uh, five and a half percent prime. <laughs> Here's what you owe. God. You yeah, really perfect. need this Dodge Journey. I'm telling you, it's a reliable vehicle. <laughs> Lots of leg room, you know. You're a tall guy. How much you how, much, how tall are you? Yeah. Oh yes, there's plenty of leg room. Plenty of starting a family. Yeah, you can throw an extra car seat back there. <laughs> he doesn't get it. The guy goes with like a <laughs> with like a Nissan Rogue. He smashes his computer. <laughs> draft table he closed the lid so hard it broke yeah he was really animated you know these scouts get very uh very territorial you know if you're in the western league you've been watching western players you kind of want there's certain players that have caught your eye that you want the team to take and you get into arguments with like swedish scouts that their players suck and you hate them (laughs) and it's like oh my god chuck like seriously this is what you're talking about no, it's yep. a lovely thing, son. <laughs> oh, yep. All right, boys. Cool. All right, guys. Call it a night. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. You guys have a great rest of the week. You have a great weekend coming up, too. Yep. Enjoy. Yep. Fingers crossed that Danny Briere fire sale, fire sale, fire sale. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd love to see them just completely reset. Same. That would be great. Yep. 
Yeah, yeah I'll check, check back all the in uh, sometime next week, Thursday, or you know, before Thursday to make sure we're all good for it then. Okay. All right. That'd be great, Dan. Sounds yep. good. All right. Sounds good. I'll see you all guys. Right. Good Bye. night. Night, boys.